The magic of Doctor Who is nothing is what it appears to be. The police box is not a police box. Mm. The doctor is not an old human being. Susan is not a school child. Running through Doctor Who is the thing is, look at life. There's more to life than you think. Life is not straightforward. To get the most out of life, you need to dig a bit deeper. So I, I think that's part of the, the magic of it. Type 40, your Doctor Who podcast from the Spacebook for the Fandom Podcast Network. With me, Dan Hadley, Birmingham's king of the geeks, your designated driver, mouth runner, and this time, party planner. Materialising again here on our free speaking, big thinking show for everyone. Whatever decade or century you started watching, reading or listening along to the ongoing adventures of our hero, Doctor Who. We talk about it all on this show and there could even be a couple of laughs thrown in along the way too. Come and step into our TARDIS. Join the celebration on Type 40. Hello, Diamond Anniversary friends and fellow fans. Doctor Who fans, we never really need uh, much encouragement, do we, to pop up the old bunting for something? But when our favourite sci-fi and fantasy TV series, the world's longest-running and best-loved, reaches another big birthday, what do you expect? That's the Doctor himself I'm talking about, of course, not my regular co-hosts, Mr Simon Horton and Mrs Sarah Graham. <laughs> hello, hello. Hello. Yeah. I should think you're not talking about us. <laughs> Rude. <Yeah. laughs> I'm that not a million miles off it. <laughs> that introduction came off like something from the Avengers, didn't it? Rather than the show we're here to talk about. So it's going well so far. Going well so far. Uh, Lovely to see you both. How are you? All the better for oh. being here. And that that photo that you brought up the beginning there, Dan, of the of the TARDIS in the junkyard. Gosh, yeah. there's just something remarkably wonderful and poetic and romantic and beautiful about that image. I don't know what yeah. it is. But it just wouldn't, it wouldn't be the same if that TARDIS was, I don't know, 
on on a spaceship in a in a in a, in a spacey corridor or what anything you can think of that's just perfect for the beginning of a show you know just such humble yeah. origins just such humble lo-fi beginnings for this show uh, that kind of defies all logic in a way and so now just looking at it like that that's just to me such an evocative atmospheric photo really moves me that photo does no me too and even more so since we've been listening to the words of the late Ian McLaughlin too mm. our, our panelist on those shows last year when he said the magic of Doctor Who is that nothing is what it appears to be and mm. I've never been able to look at the police box the TARDIS or the Doctor or Susan quite in the same way since Ian said that to us Sarah way back like 18 months yeah. ago whenever it was it was yeah, yeah yeah if you hadn't brought it up that I was going to bring it up yeah well and magic is is just the word and there, there's something almost fairy tale about it um, it's almost like I don't know like Alibaba's bazaar or something you know with like the antiquities and things and you've just got this curiosity yeah. just parked in the corner and yeah God, there really is nothing yeah. quite like it. No, it is. It, it is genuinely. Do you do you think as well, Sarah? I know that that recently, more than ever this year, I've been thinking this that we kind of take it for granted that kind of juxtaposition that we've got so used to the roundels and the TARDIS <laughs> console and all the rest of it that actually it's sometimes easy to forget quite how magical and unique, as you say, Sarah, it is. And 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 it, it, you, you sometimes have to sort of step back and think, wow, if you if you'd never heard of Doctor Who, if you'd never seen Doctor Who, and you just looked. At that photo you'd be thinking what is that it's just so out there it's just so it illogical and nonsensical and as you say Sarah magical and as I sometimes I think we just forget that and we take it for granted because it's so familiar to us now it doesn't mean we love it any less but sometimes I think we actually appreciate it less because we've forgotten what it was that we fell in love with all those years ago in the first place it almost fades into the background somewhat. Yeah. Again, my mind goes back to the words of a previous guest, Tony Farrell, on the last show, who mm. described how the set came about and, and that mix of what was then modernity with the classic elements, with that candlestick and the, and the, the clock. It's really, really ornate. And the sedan yeah. chair, all those little touches. And you could say it's the same when we meet the time travellers too, the Doctor and Susan. He is there looking almost Dickensian the way mm -hmm. that he's dressed, that hat that looks like a tea cosy, I've always thought. <laughs> it's a very yeah, particular kind of, kind of hat. There's the cloak and there's the, the yeah. suit that's very well sort of, but he's, he's very well together, but, yeah. but looks slightly dishevelled. And then you've got his granddaughter, Susan, who is also a picture of modernity. So they are also the same contrast. And it's odd, isn't it? Because, I mean, you look at William Hartnell and he, as the first Doctor and he's far from what you would think of as a, as a, as a hero. Um, he's definitely not the kind of thing that you would imagine if you were if you were creating the show from scratch, from fresh today, if it had never been created. You simply would not be casting William Hartnell and you wouldn't be dressing him in the clothes that you dress him in because it just mm. it doesn't quite it does work but it doesn't work on paper yeah. it shouldn't work none of it should actually work and and so it, you would have a board meeting about this today and this would the idea would be thrown out <laughs> at the, at the beginning stage because it was just like people will be sitting around befuddled saying sorry 
what? So we're going to cast an old man. We're going to make him look even older by putting a wig on him, put him in weird clothes, give him a teenage daughter who's dressed as a groovy 60s chick, put them in a police box. And it's, you, can, you can hear, can't you, the, yeah. the, the, the complete bewilderment uh, from, from the TV execs that just wouldn't get this. It, it takes a real leap of faith to have come up with this, let alone then run with it. We said before we started recording this episode of the show, we weren't going to go too deep and meaningful. This is going to be all casual and light and frothy. We've gone conceptual already. Uh, yeah, a happy Doctor Who day. The shapes and the faces of heroism, they do sort of change over the decades, don't they, when it comes to Doctor Who. The figure of the Doctor is still mostly somebody in a, a longer coat. Mm-hmm. Nine times out of ten, they've got lapels, for example, they can tug on, haven't they? Yes. Mostly with ties and things, I'd say more of the companions than not two have been from present-day Earth. So they have been a statement on modernity. You could say that uh, Catherine Tate's Donna Noble. We're yet to actually meet her as she is now as a middle-aged woman, but I can't imagine she's changed too much, Sarah. No, not judging by the trailers. I've had so much on my mind whilst we wait for these new specials. They're days away as of time of recording. An insufferable wait, uh, but we've still got just a little while to go. There's lots of things we can dig into, though, to talk about on this edition of Type 40 and mark 60 years of Doctor Who. And we're bringing you a Type 41st as well. We're going to actually be watching Doctor Who together. All of that's coming up in a little while Don't miss it. Don't go anywhere. Yes, so here we are celebrating the series 60 years on and off screens after all this countdown and another massive dry spell of new episodes. When one makes this kind of content and we arrive at these at these destinations, <laughs> it's like when you go on holiday, Simon. So, uh, you know, you've, you've finished the ride or the flight. There's that immediate impulse once you're there to race around and do absolutely everything, to jump in the pool, to hit the bar, to pull a bit of spare, to <laughs> get into a fight and all that. But in reality, all we end up doing often is we slump down on the nearest available sofa, taking the view and breathe. And that, absolutely, there's always that desire to, to run around and, and get everything in. And that's a little bit yeah. like Doctor Who always, isn't it, though? I always think that's it is. But sometimes it's better to do it just, you know, just piecemeal. Just just take your time and work through and it'll all, it'll all work out. Obviously, this is a, another pivotal time in Doctor Who history. And as I said at the top of the show, we're always celebrating something, aren't we? And there's an embarrassment of riches that you could say, even if we sort of fall in and out of love with the show... On that journey with our with our own fandom, Simon, there's something about those words, Doctor Who, a place that we go to, and it can conjure up for all of us different things and different emotions. People are always talking, aren't they, about what is the magic of Doctor Who? Why why do we still love Doctor Who? And I genuinely think that it's the breadth of different styles that exist within the show. It's one show, and mostly, not always, but mostly, it feels like it is still the same show and yet for within that there is just so much diversity so much difference so many different styles different takes there genuinely is something for everyone to love in Doctor Who and I and I think even people that would claim to hate Doctor Who I think if they watched (laughs) all of it eventually they'd probably find at least one story that they kind of said 
okay, yeah, that kind of works for me. Because I just think he needs just that diversity of, of, of styles. Well, yeah, because the beauty of Doctor Who is, yes, okay, it comes under the umbrella of sci-fi and fantasy, but it's every genre. It's drama, um, you know, adventure, mystery. Comedy. Comedy, romance, and people might not like it, but I'm horror. sure it has been in the horror, yes. It's yeah, all of thriller. it. What I find, Sarah, is that when you find people who've been seduced by Doctor Who, it's, it's because it's sort of ground them down over a period of time, either because a spouse has been really into it, another family member, or they've just caught it a few times because the time that it's on, it's just everything's just dropped into, the, into place and they finally got it and they, they understand. They may not feel exactly the same way that we do about it, but they, they kind of get it. They, they're kind of on board. Yeah, there's so much, you know, whether it's, it's the character or, you know, the guest stars, or a particular story. There is something, um, you know, and the general public, I think, latch on to that. You know, they might not have seen a single thing, but they've watched Voyage of the Dam because Kylie Minogue was in it, and then they've realised for that hour they've been, you know, enraptured in it, and then, you know, oh, I might actually, I might watch the next series, and that, that that's the hook. So it could be something as simple as that, as just a guest star. And, and also, I think it's it's it, we all as fans, and also as, you, as the public, as you mentioned there, Sarah, we, we've all fallen in and out of love with Doctor Who over the years, the same as you do with anything and anyone. Doctor Who is one of those programs that sometimes it works for you, sometimes it doesn't, and so you fall out of love. But then you come back to it. There was a period, um, in sort of in the nineties, when at late eighties, early nineties, when I went away from Doctor Who entirely, it meant nothing to me at all. I sensed sold all my collection, got rid of everything, stopped watching it, had nothing to do with Doctor Who. And I genuinely thought my love affair with Doctor Who was long, long over. And then it was only in the late 90s that I really just began to realise how much I was missing it and came back and rediscovered it and re-fell in love with it. Mm. And I think, again, that's part of the magic of Doctor Who is this ability. It kind of gets under your skin, even if you are just a member of the public. And you kind of, mm. people in the public have come back to it and, and watched it again, for example, in, in 2005 when it came mm. back and sort of thought, oh, yeah, I remember now why I loved it, but I'd forgotten. I think it's like when you listen to an album that you used to be crazy about in the, in the 80s, the 90s or the yeah, 90s, whenever you grew it. up and you used to know it track by track yeah. and then you, it gets all played out and you move on to, to something else, to something a little bit deeper, a little more serious or, or int uh, introspective and then you may hear uh, Reach by S Club 7 again 15 years later <laughs> and you, you still know all the dance moves, you know, yeah. all the hype. <laughs> And that's, and that's even better then when you realise that actually you did love it to begin with and you've forgotten. That's even better then because it's right, rediscovering yeah. something. It, it's a, yeah, it's a wonderful feeling, especially when you get to share it with other yeah. people as well. But I think there's this thing of Doctor Who, in, you know, it's not just like this static TV programme. It, you know, it's alive when you're watching it. As an adult, you appreciate it in a different way as you did Completely. when you know when you grew up with it, and then when you're watching it, you know, with your nephews and nieces or your own children, and now you know, possibly even grandchildren. That's another lens. Like, yeah, this word "lens" is very popular these days, but I think <laughs> it's a, it's appropriate here. It's another way of viewing it, and it's like, oh, oh, I remember why I like this story, and yeah. it's, it's because of your reaction. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt. Or, you know, I didn't see it like this, but now, now I can appreciate it. 
And it's and it's funny, you know, Sarah, because I can I've spoken about this before, but I remember when I was probably I'm guessing about twelve, thirteen, fourteen, when Doctor Who was was had really grabbed me, and 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 it's become an obsession with me. There's no two ways about it. And I remember, so we'd be talking sort of uh, sort of late seventies through to the early eighties at that point. And I remember literally thinking, I, I've got vivid memories of thinking, wow. Will Doctor Who still be there when I am an adult? Will I still be? I'm worried about this. I literally worried about, will Doctor Who still be there? Will I still be enjoying it? Will I, will I be able to access it? Will it I had these questions about the existence of Doctor Who. And, and, and here we are all those years later, certainly now sort of 50 years later for me, and we are still all here talking about Doctor Who. And, and for, for better or worse, sometimes for, for, for good and bad, it's bigger and, and better and, uh, than it was in some ways. Um, but it's still here and it's still very, very present. Um, and gosh, you know, if I could look, if I could go back to my 12, 13 year old self, you know, I'd, I'd put my arm around myself and say, don't worry, you will still be enjoying Doctor Who in another 50 years time. That's quite powerful to think about, really, for me personally. It is powerful. It's exactly the right word for something that's so simple as well and, and something that's so mainstream too because this is a populist television show that's meant to be at the heart of the schedules and seen by as many people as possible. It's not meant to be this tiny little cult thing that people watch at two in the morning or in the middle of the afternoon or, or, or whatever in a, in a state of, of near slumber. This is supposed to be a big, big show, albeit a little show, that that acts like it's a big show. I think that that's... That's the conceit behind it, particularly in the, in the new series. I think when Russell T. Davis brought it back, he said how, from the very beginning, he wanted in the opening titles, the, uh, the names of the stars, Christopher Eccleston and Billy Piper, were going to be in huge metallic letters, like they were the biggest stars in the world. That grandstand this show and, and this central character and this premise, I think there's a party-like atmosphere to Doctor Who, even when it's a really quiet episode where everybody's invited if you're willing to just, you know, sort of follow the, follow the code of conduct. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, with a small C. It's always had this, you know, inclusivity about it, which is why it's baffling when this, you know, the people have been banging this drum for the past four, five, six years. It's always been open to everyone. There is, there is sort of something of a dichotomy kind of at the heart of Doctor Who, which is certainly in the classic years, because it is a very, very humble, small programme, yeah. but with massive, massive ideas. Um, it, it's, it's very famous for having, you know, a minuscule budget, no time, no money to make it, no resources at all. Um, and yet, as I say, the ideas are literally off off the scale. You know, my arms are so far apart, and you can't see my hands. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's, and that's the reach of Doctor Who's, the, 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 the production team's imagination, certainly through the classic years, and in many ways in the early 2005s, because they were still at that point re-establishing themselves when, mm -hmm. when Russell T. Davis brought it back. It's only in recent years the budgets have, have matched the scope of the imagination behind I think it, I it's think. earlier on when I likened it to a dance that everybody knows or, knows or knew the steps to, or a song that people knew the lyrics to. In the case of that instance, the comeback in 2005, they were willing to sort of play the tune and hope that yes. people do the dance, that it, it chimes into some sort of latent yeah. memory almost of uh, a British culture, indigenous British people in particular know the steps to this. Somehow it'll get passed down. And even though the budgets have increased, generally speaking, as long as the show knows itself at its heart, Simon, it is, it is a small show that can do big things. If you can encapsulate that, 
then you've got the same show. Then you've captured the magic that is Doctor Who, at least as a starting point. And then it's, I suppose, it's within within their own hands whether it succeeds or not from that moment onwards. I mean, we can we can only hope. The budget seems like it's gone positively stellar for these next episodes that are due in just a few days' time. Three brand new episodes. All I can say is, having waited this time to show us anything at all, this had better be good. Uh, more Doctor Who talk coming up in a couple of minutes. But I've got to remind you that if you'd like to do some real-time travelling of your own, each and every edition of this show, past, present and future, is just a tap or two away on the device of your choice, but only if you know where to look. There's masses of reviews, previews, interviews, geek outs and deep dives with our regular panellists and some pretty awesome guests. There's something for every fan over at type40.podbean.com and we'll be boasting more about that a little bit later on. Spoiling them rotten, we are, Sarah. Spoiling them rotten. <laughs> we are indeed. We are indeed. <laughs> yeah, so this time I thought we could look to the, the fundamentals of Doctor Who itself the, in the past, the present and the future. It may not necessarily be in that order, but Doctor Who is 60 years old. Let's all have some fun with it. A few short weeks ago after several hushed mentions and a bit of tease and the BBC and Bad Wolf Studios unveiled the Hooniverse. It's not just a streaming hub that's based on the BBC iPlayer platform hosting hundreds of episodes of Doctor Who, practically back to the beginning, and all the spin-offs and all, all sorts of other things, but it's kind of a statement of intent, I feel, that Doctor Who would be stepping back up to the international stage to square up to other intellectual properties that it often gets mentioned in the same breath as. It, it premiered with a big fanfare of, and a promotional animation in the mould adopted by other major brands in recent years, such as Star Trek, Star Wars, and uh, originally the Marvel Cinematic Universe, of course, the Marvel Studios. So in the course of that animation, it, it's hardly a roll call of everyone's Doctor Who icon Sarah, but we paraded first with images of the Doctors, then the Companions, and finally the Monsters before the TARDISes of tracks through those lovely golden shiny letters there that say Hooniverse. You can't please all the people all of the time, and that probably goes double, maybe even trouble when it comes to, to Doctor Who fans. What I wanted to offer to you both was simply this. Is this a pretty accurate pitch or resell of Doctor Who as a concept and as, a, as an existing entity in any era, let alone now at the 60 years mark? What, what do you think, Sarah? Yeah, I think it is. I, I like the idea that they've separated things out, and and I think you can argue that 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 is the show. It's the Doctor. It's the companion. It's the monsters. Where would the show be without any of those components? Take one of them out, and the show is just simply not going to work. I know. We, yeah, we can we can argue about all day about which monsters, which companions, which doctors yeah. you can put in. But I think those three components. A right to be in the in that hole, uh, yeah. So yeah, it works and, for me. And I think it's, it it says everything again as to what we just said about it. it's it's the breadth of, of sort of styles and, and and characters that that exist within the Doctor Who world. But it is also that that is what makes Doctor Who. Um, and so yeah, I have to be honest. It seems absolutely fine to me. William Hartnell is is front and centre there. Can't argue with that. So so. It's all good as far as I'm concerned. I think it, I think it does a good job. It, it works, does what it needs to do. 
mean, obviously, there's always the danger, particularly when you've only got a few seconds worth to showcase something like that. You're going to leave someone's favourite doctor out. Now, my, my doctor's not in there, but that's not what's important because the show's got this international streaming home for the, for the very first time. And you're right, Sarah, I, I do feel that if you get, if you get the doctors, get the, get the companions, get the monsters and uh, put the stories together in the, in the right kind of way, with the right balance of tone, then you've got TV gold, then you've got real Doctor Who that has been making childhood, childhoods now since 1963. You cannot encompass all of Doctor Who. No. In, in, well, you can't encompass it in, in you know, 100 hours of television, for example. It, it can't be done. <laughs> it's too big for that. We're talking 60 years. It's a massive, massive property now, Doctor Who is. Um, and so all you can do is focus on the details that, 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 that resonate with you. It's bigger than all of us. It's bigger than everybody that has ever worked on the show now. Uh, yeah, it's bigger than William Hartnell and Verity Lambert. <laughs> uh, and so, as I say, all you can do is focus on the bits that, that you like, that work for you. And that's, as I say to me, is it's pick and mix, isn't it, at the end of the day, Doctor Who? It is pick and mix. I'd say, Simon, up until the 1990s even, most shows, if they, if they lost their lead actor or actress, that show would, nine times out of ten, just wrap up, wouldn't it? But Doctor Who was breaking that mould 55 years ago. Well, it certainly would have wrapped up, yeah, in the mid-60s. I mean, the, the thought of recasting a major, major role in the mid-60s was just inconceivable, and literally nobody had ever thought of it. Um, and, and, and I mean, it's still not very popular these days to recast a role, but, it, no. but it, it's only it's only in recent decades that it has come into mm -hmm. its own where you, you, people at least feel able to recast roles. But as I say, we're talking the mid-60s. I, I mean, I, I'd be interested, in, I'd go out on a limb here and say it had probably never, ever been done. So to recast was incredible thought. I think sometimes they used to, because obviously TVs were so much smaller, in the 50s in particular, sometimes they would swap actors out in things like police shows and hospital shows, actors into the same characters, into the same roles. But they would cast somebody who looked almost exactly the same. And they wouldn't make a song and dance about it and kind of hope that nobody had noticed. But when it's the lead of your show, to kind of not just, not just to proclaim that and have plaster it in the newspapers, but to also make the person who's coming into that same role, make them play it as a point of order, almost completely differently. <laughs> it's more of that, of that sheer audacity that Simon was talking about earlier on, about this little show that just keeps grandstanding and makes these bold moves and big choices, Sarah. It is, and, and even today, you can't imagine, you know, a boardroom today coming up, that, you know, that it had been laughed out of the room to take these these risks. Had they not come up with the idea of regeneration, although it wasn't called regeneration at the time, had they not come up with that idea, there is no two ways about it, we would not be sitting here now talking about three years of William Hartnell, Doctor Who, you just, uh, that had ended in 1966. We, we simply wouldn't be here talking about it. The programme would be consigned to television history. You'd, I, I'm sure people would still talk about it and sort of say, oh, do you remember it much as the same way we might talk about the clangers or the magic <laughs> round that or something. Yeah. But, but that would genuinely be it. It, it certainly w would not be celebrating 60 years this year. Nobody would remember that it was 60 years old. And it simply is down to that one decision to think, let's recast the part. I mean, it is just incredible. It's that sole thing that means we're still talking about it today.
I think it's impossible for, to talk about Doctor Who for longer than five minutes, no, no matter what intentions that you have, without getting a, a little bit esoteric, without getting really conceptual. Mm-hmm. It's the strangest thing, and yet it's the, the simplest of shows. It's Saturday tea times for the entire family. But there is something about this character. And the idiosyncrasies of the show, it, it's almost like a puzzle that you want to crack. Even if you're content for years, just get on with it and enjoy it. Now and again, it does confound you again. You think, oh, how does this work? Why does it work? Well, well it, is, it is an intellectual show in the way that something like, let's say, EastEnders is not an intellectual show. Um, EastEnders is purely character-driven. But to the naked eye, Doctor Who isn't either, is it? In fact, it looks really juvenile. Yes. And unsophisticated mm-hmm. compared yeah. to even serial dramas to the untrained eye. Because that's yeah. what people have been saying to me all my life. It's all, it's all pie in the sky nonsense, far too far-fetched. And they look at me as if I must be really simple-minded for being carried away on these flights of fantasy for decades now. Oh, yeah. It's it's like, how, how can you be so interested and invested in a children's show like... Well, actually, and as I and as I always say, I, I get really annoyed when people say, "Oh, look, it's only a TV show." I'm like, "No, it really it's isn't not. only a TV show. It's far, far more. Um, but not least because it's just got such big ideas." Simon, I'm often amused by interviews, either archive interviews or in the here and now, with actors and actresses who've played the companions of the Doctor where they've just taken the role, for example, they're doing some sort of promo piece on BBC Breakfast or Pebble Mill, and they'll talk about the character that they're playing in the show that they've either just joined or even just left in some cases. And you get the impression they either have no idea what they're just getting involved with, because a lot of them do think that it's, mm-hmm. it's just the next line on the CV, or, or for them, it's, uh, it's a few quid in the bank. They don't know what they've, what they've got into, and why should they treat this part any differently than if they were playing Miriam, the manageress of a laundrette in EastEnders, <laughs> than, than playing the Doctor's latest companion. When you see them, when you, when you hear them interviewed a little while later on, they're, they're almost like they're in the eye of some sort of storm that they just didn't see coming. I would imagine if you're an actor or an actress, there are probably plenty of them out there who do grow up watching Doctor Who and would kind of like to be in it because it's a show that everybody knows. But if you're to ask them, you know, do you have what it takes to be a Doctor Who companion? They just look at it as if to say, well, I, I just, I just kind of like to get a job, thanks very much. You know, it's, we look at these things with great importance, whereas to them, it's, it is just that next line on the CV. I'm an actor, I'm in work, it's all gravy. There's a lot of actors who maybe haven't done family-oriented things before and they've not had like that child audience. But to have a child come up to you and say, you know, I grew up watching you, uh, you know, your influence... I mean, how I don't even know how you would respond to that, well, to have somebody come up to you and, and you know, admit that. And, I mean, that must just be a, such a special feeling once you've been in doctor who it never ever leaves you that that's the other that's the other key thing so people that are, that are getting into doctor who that, that might be peering in doctor who certainly in a, in a reasonably major role for the first time they might not have clocked what they're getting into that that decades down the line it will still be mentioned so so that's the other thing that you see interviews with people who might have been in doctor in the 60s uh, and if it was a reasonably significant role you can guarantee if they're being interviewed on breakfast time or whatever it will get brought up oh you were in doctor yeah. who weren't you and it is one of those shows yeah. that just gets remembered and it's a touchstone for the public that as soon as you say oh you were in doctor who weren't you again people immediately 
they're, they're right in the moment. The nearest thing that's close to it is probably being a Blue Peter presenter, but because that's not yeah, a character that anybody affects, yeah, yeah. I suppose it's a version of themselves. But then again, any, any performance, any broadcaster, I suppose, is a version of themselves. A, a radio DJ is a version of themselves. YouTubers are versions of themselves, ourselves, I suppose. You could even, even pull it out that far. So you can't even say that Blue Peter presenters, it's, it's still very, yeah. very different to that, that balance, that exact position of being a Doctor Who companion. And they become, the expression we've heard most recently is Russell T Davies talking about Ruby Sunday, the, the character we're yet to meet, played by Millie Gibson. She's a companion for the ages. And, and that's the kind of statement that people like Russell T Davies trot out, trot out a lot. It's, it sounds profound. There are companions who do kind of define their time in the same way that, uh, that John Noakes defined Blue Peter in the mid-70s. For example, the whole is bigger than the sum of the parts with Doctor Who, and you've got a heck of a lot of parts that that that, that, are, that all work brilliantly, but somehow they coalesce into something even bigger and and better than than they should do, and then 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 you would reasonably expect them to. There, there is that you know that oft-used phrase of lightning in a bottle, and Doctor mm -hmm. Who is truly one of the only shows in the world that can genuinely claim to be lightning in a bottle. Um, there aren't many programmes, if any others, that you can, you know, I define anybody really to name another programme. Television programme, forget mm -hmm. films for a moment, that, that could truly be defined as lightning in the bottle in the way that Doctor Who can. It's a tough act to follow. Yeah. And when... it, it, it's difficult, um, to, uh, yeah, it's difficult to predict success as well. I mean, it is... It is a bit conceited of Russell to say that, but, you know, that's what he is. He is the hyperbole master. I think you can only re realistically have those ambitions and hope mm -hmm. that it strikes the chord with us. Yeah, I mean, I hope she is. I mean, don't get me wrong, but I just, I don't think you can... You, you can't, can't predict plan it. that, yeah, no. yeah. But in the same way that you can't, they, they, they can never predict whether they're writing a classic episode or not. Mm -hmm. It's it, no. uh, it, it simply all they can do with anything in the show is do their best, do what they think is right at the time, and it either works or it doesn't. There's absolutely no, and that is the, that's at the heart of Doctor Who as, a, as an actual concept itself. There's no way of predicting with any of this. Going back to those interviews, those archive interviews that I've watched, quite often when you see new companions talk about them bagging the role as the new Doctor Who companion, the, the host, for example, Alan Titchmarsh or Terry Wogan, the second question they'll ask them will always be, who is Joe? Who is Sarah Jane? Who is Tegan? And they'll, they'll always say, the actor, actress, will always say, oh, they're an air hostess. Oh, they're a laboratory technician. Oh, they're a florist. As if, because they grab on to the, the human, the everyday things, don't they, as actors, which again is understandable because that's their starting place. But then, of course, the series catapults them into a series of ridiculous scenarios, completely out there adventures against these fearsome foes from their very worst nightmares. Sometimes in the 21st century version of Doctor Who, there's not even anything in the room with them. They've got to imagine that these things are there, and then they've got to act off that and roll with these really outlandish stories, and often with a tonal balance like no other show on television, Simon, as you were saying earlier on.
Oh, you, you've got to be prepared. If you're going to be in Doctor Who, you have to be prepared to give up on, on any preconceptions, any thoughts, um, any embarrassments, any, any nervousness, and just, as you say, just roll with it. You've just got to lean into it and go for it. Um, because if you don't, you, you're kind of, you're just going to get lost straight away. This is, as, again, as we've said from the top of this show, it, there is nothing like Doctor Who. And so it's not like you can say, you can't throw somebody into the middle of Doctor and say, well, it's a bit like this, and it's a bit like, no, it's not like anything. No. It, it, it is its own beast. Doctor Who kept me awake at night when I was a kid several times, Sarah. I, I can't pretend it didn't. It did. I didn't, it didn't terrify me as such, but just, just enough to the point where I did want to watch it, but I didn't. And again, I think that's a sweet spot too, that they continue to get right, right the way through the noughties, up until the relatively recent past, come to think of it. Yeah, again, it's that fine line. Um, but I do think Moffat understood that the best out of the modern writers and showrunners is that yet yeah, children want to be scared. Don't patronise them. Don't talk down to them. Don't treat them as stupid because they, you know, they will get it. They do understand much more than what you think, and they, and they want to be challenged. And you know, this isn't CBB. So as you say, this is prime time TV. There should be enough for the children and the adults to enjoy and it is kind of a knife edge uh, I mean it, it never obviously I'm the wrong age it never terrified me um, but obviously looking back I can see why people were scared of the autons um, especially you know that that kind of like the, the extraordinary domestic things I mean the autons is a prime example of that anything like that everyday stuff um, but yeah, there were plenty of stuff that my kids were afraid of and had nightmares about the silence was a big one with Josh, but they still wanted to watch every week. When when's Doctor Who back on? When are we watching it? There's, there's, there's certainly lots in Doctor Who that scared me as a, as a child, um, and definitely I had nightmares over it. Um, but yeah, I kept coming back for more, and, and, and it's doing. And you need a psychologist, wouldn't you, to tell you why is it that kids love <laughs> being scared? Because you know Doctor Who is it's a very dark program. Um, it, 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 certainly in the classic years, and in and truth be told, in a lot of the modern stuff as well, um, it's very dark. A lot of people die in Doctor Who. A lot of people have really bad times in Doctor Who. It's not a fun show by any means. And so why is it so much fun to watch? I don't know. The, the, the whole central conceit of Doctor Who, it is built around fear, around death, around danger, around good versus evil. Um, really, really big, badass evil. Um, what is it? I think some of it is timing as well, Simon. I think just as companions should be people, largely people, of their time. There are exceptions to that rule. Of course, there are people like Leela and Victoria. But generally, generally speaking, it works when they're people of their time. And I think when it comes to villainy and fear, reflecting current times, things that are preying on people's minds, that are maybe in the, newspaper, in the newspapers, things that are topical, strictly pointing at the difference here between what's topical and what's political. Political is something else entirely, but something that's topical that's on people's minds, whether it be about replacing body parts and all the stuff that Kit Pedler and Jerry Davis were writing about in the 60s, or some of the things that have been, been in, in Russell T. Davis and Stephen Moffat era scripts there, 
when it's done correctly, when it's done with a, a measured hand, then it, it can it can just tap into something that is, that is of now. And I think that's what partly what makes a family show separate from a, a children's show too. It's not just somebody jumping out of the shadows and shouting boo. It, it's it's things that can provoke real conversation, that promote fear, even in adults, and bond the family together. Philip Hinchcliffe and Barry Lett uh, uh, and Robert Holmes in the classic years were all very much a case of this is not a show for your children to watch on their own. It's not, it's not a children's show. And of course, famously, the children's department at the BBC in the early 60s were really cheesed off that they didn't get it because they felt it should have been the children's department that were making this program, mm -hmm. not the, the drama department, because they felt mm -hmm. it was a children's show. Mm -hmm. um, but as I say, the, the, the production teams, certainly in the classic years, and, in, and then in the, uh, in, in the the, the first two that uh, the first um, Russell T Davis era were very clear. No, it's a family show. You watch. You, it's designed to be watched by adults and children together, not children on their own. This isn't a CBBC program. You just pop your kids in front of, and and if you're doing that, then there's something wrong with you. And of course, that was always Philip Hinchcliffe's argument against Mary Whitehouse. Children should not be watching this on their own. That's not what it's designed for. Funnily enough, Simon, Russell T Davies did say, he repeated that just last week. Now, Russell has said a lot of things in the last couple of weeks, <laughs> but in this instance, I couldn't really, and people did give him a hard time for this, he restated that fact, that it's not a, it's not a children's show, that it is a family show, and people gave him a really hard time about it. But I feel that he's absolutely right, he in exactly right. the same way yeah, that you've just I described. Agree, yeah. He is right. And, and and sometimes people that have worked in the show or on the show, so Lala Ward, for, for example, has always said it was a children's show. We were making a children's show. I, I, I question that. I, you know, I, for example, look at Warrior's Gate, her last story, saying, what made you think you were making a children's show? State of Decay, <laughs> The Leisure High, what makes you think you're making a children's show? So I think there is a misconception there sometimes. I think we've got actors who, in the in the current series, in the in the 2005 plus show who probably look at it very similarly. But I think there yes. is a divide in line between those who understand it and those who don't. Well, again, and almost, it's like, how do you, if you're going into Doctor Who the first time with, with we, we forget that, that, that there are people out there that don't follow it quite as obsessively as us. Really? Uh, and actors are probably, <laughs> probably one of the main groups, simply because yes. they're probably too busy working on other shows mm. and they maybe don't watch this stuff. And so, you know, when, when new actors go into Doctor Who, it's almost like, do, they, do you give them a briefing on what they're going into? Because, again, how do you give them a briefing on a 60-year-old show? How do you do that? How do you get I them into the I suppose the you, just, you just hope they've seen enough of it, that they, uh, that they know yeah. the steps to, they steps to that dance, Sarah. Yeah. They know the lyrics yeah. to the tune. Oh, oh, they learn on the job like yeah. everybody else has yeah. to do. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Again, they sink or swim. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Because across these six decades, it's left such an indelible mark on, on children into adulthood, something that we take with us and pass down to our children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews. I think it, it, much, much less so in the modern era. In fact, maybe to the extent that this isn't true at all, but certainly it was true in the classic years that you wanted people to understand why you liked Doctor Who, because it was certainly, as I was growing up, it was very, very much viewed um, by my contemporaries, by, by children of my, the same age as me at the time in school, 
the vast majority of kids were not into Doctor Who, and those that were into Doctor Who were the ones that were going to be beaten up around the back of the bike sheds for being geeky and, and, and all the rest mm -hmm. of it. And so there was very much a feeling that I, I genuinely wanted people to get Doctor Who just purely to understand why I liked it. And so I wasn't, I didn't feel quite so much of a complete idiot. Um, and that's, that's far, far less important in the modern era because people just get it more so. And it isn't the embarrassment. Dan, you know, you must have had this growing up. It was embarrassing. <laughs> Yeah. to be a Doctor Who fan in the way that it's not these days. It was embarrassing, um, Simon, and it was frustrating because the things that people thought that you liked about it weren't always the case. People thought, but as I say, people thought that you must be simple-minded when you're in your, your teens or 20s and you're still watching something that's from the outside looks like it's for kids. There's that, that you must be unsophisticated. Yeah. But also, what I, what I do find is that people on the outside as well, Sarah, they don't see, in some cases, what's right under their noses and how the general, the stories that fuel Doctor Who and the people that the Doctor and the companions come into contact with, the situations that they, that they make their way through and, and the, the problems they resolve, yeah, they're, they're portrayed in exaggerated ways with monstrous figures, but they're often just about people. Doctor Who can be a very much a character-driven show, you know, and we... We get attached to these people. We get just as attached to the doctors and companions and, and the supporting cast as, you know, people do watch Corey every week or EastEnders. Um, and yeah, you know, and at the heart of it is generally it's good versus evil. There's usually, you know, some kind of morality involved. I think if it was in any other format, the normies would, you know, they'd be lapping it up, but because it's got the, because it's got monsters in, and, ex and, and, think, and, and yeah. ray guns, and <laughs> yeah, and, but yeah, and, and robot uh, dogs, uh, and robot yeah. dogs, yeah. I, th I think that is, uh, yeah, that's what. But they, they can't kind of, can't see the wood for the trees. When you actually look through all that, you look through the sort of the tinfoil trappings, for want of a better word. Um, actually, you're right, Sarah. There is a morality at the heart of it, uh, certainly most of it, uh, and, and an, a, a, a sort of a, um, a human quality to it. There are they, These are quite deep stories. A lot of them are, are, are quite deep if you look further in. And they've also got, there are other, there are layers to Doctor Who stories, which again, we keep using this example of EastEnders, but EastEnders is very much you, you see what you, you you get what you see, you see what yeah. you get. It does what it says on the tin. It's yeah. one dimensional. You, you, there's no hidden depths there. Nobody's going to go away and write a thesis about an episode of EastEnders. Yeah. Doctor Who can be those things. And you can read, literally, in an academic sense, you can read any episode of Doctor Who on a number of levels, a number of levels, that you yourself can create if, if you want to, you, that, that might not be there at all, but you can find things in them in the way that you're not going to find them in an episode of EastEnders, <laughs> for example, um, or any other soap opera, other, other soap operas are available. Um, and so again, to me, that is part of the appeal of Doctor Who, is it just does have these hidden depths that are there if you want to look for them, and if you don't, there's a robot dog and there's some ray guns and some great <laughs> characterization. So that's why everybody wins, truth be told. I mean, looking back to the Hooniverse fanfare trailer there, which I know is superficial and glossy and a little too sure of itself. And, hey, you know, they could, be, they could be heading for a major fall with that in the long term. We, we don't know. We can't know. 
but when I looked at that, and after I sat and, and lived with it for a little while, Sarah, and thought about it, I came. I, I responded the same way that you did. That they they've got it right, and that the appeal of Doctor Who, or certainly the balancing act to making good Doctor Who, is actually fairly is fairly simple. You've got the the totemic figure of the TARDIS itself. They're casting that shadow with the the windows lit and the, the doors coming open and the escape into adventure that, as you say, does chime with classic literature. Even more fundamental than that, we, we have those three elements in the Doctors, the Companions and the Monsters. We've got, we've got someone we grow to, to know, to care about or to relate to more often than not. And there's something to, something to fear, Simon, something to fight and hide from behind the sofa if we, if we have to. You know, I did that. People say, you know, oh, people didn't really hide behind me. I bloody did. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and importantly as well, though, so there's that. But the third figure, in this case, the Doctor, it, it's so, someone else to light the way for us, to make us laugh, to make us think. Or to encourage us to just keep running, you know, because everything will be okay just around that corner. It's the spirit of adventure and a feeling of connection, even or often, I should say, for the disconnected, especially for the outsiders, the people who, for one reason or another, in childhood perhaps weren't uh, weren't the norm, weren't part of that sort of one fits all dynamic you know they did kids that didn't like football for example or or, or this or, or did the same kind of music as their friends would often find something in doctor who somewhere either the doctor the companions or the stories so one of those things i think it's because it challenges you to think slightly outside of outside of the box and to sort of to bring out the best in oneself particularly particularly when you go from cliffhanger to cliffhanger in the old series simon i know you could say that those are low rent thrills as well but that idea that you know braveheart tegan you know you can get over that you can challenge yourself to be your best because you know you've got to because somewhere out there the tea's getting cold or, or we need to go and have chips or you know whatever i think it's the same central thing running through the classic and the new series mm -hmm. Oh, I think very, very much so. I, I can still remember um, as a child, and I'm sure this must be the case for children still today watching the series that, that, that love it today, that there is, I, I can remember a palpable sense of excitement, a frisson, literally, when watching those shows as a kid, that I, I loved being thrilled, and, I, and, and uh, you mentioned the cliffhangers there, Dan, and in my mind there are simply not enough cliffhangers these days mm -hmm. in Modern mm -hmm. Who. We need more cliffhangers. Yes. That, to me, was, was part of the magic of Doctor Who, was those cliffhangers. Um, because I, I can remember uh, in, in any 25-minute episode, round about 10 minutes from the end of the episode, it would start to ramp up. The, the, the drama, the, the jeopardy would begin to ramp up. And I, I can, I, I, it's very, very and clear the music, in my And the musical cues yeah. would slightly yeah. change as well. They'd yeah. take you somewhere else. And you Correct. weren't sure where you were going. You <laughs> knew it was coming towards the end of the episode and you knew it was going to end worryingly. Um, and so that absolutely, I can remember my heartbeat getting faster. The, the, mm. the, say that frisson of excitement would begin to accelerate away because you knew you were ratcheting it up to 
towards the end of the episode and you knew you were waiting for that theme to come screaming in and you knew you were going to have to wait a whole week until you found out how they got out of it. Um, and that to me was so central to Doctor Who and, and in a way is missing from Doctor Who now simply because cliffhangers are, are less important in modern Who for better when for they, right or wrong. When they do that in, in, the, uh, in the new series though, I'm thinking in particular of the week in between episodes of the Series 2 finale when word was getting around that the character of Rose Tyler was possibly going to going to die as part of that. Mm -hmm. The whole nation gets swept up and starts talking about yeah. it. And that's yeah. just one. It's happened several yeah, times, yeah, hasn't it, yeah. Sarah? So it does still work. It still works, yeah. Uh, but I agree with Simon. I, I think it needs to come back. I, I do think kind of we need to get back to episodic storytelling. Um, and, it, and you know, I've been watching Classic Who and Old New Who with, with Zach and he said the same, he wants the cliffhangers to come back, he's really enjoyed watching them. Uh, and, yeah, and half the fun is trying to figure out, okay, how are they going to get out of this one yeah. this time? <laughs> and, and, and it's always better, and my favourite one was always... The end of the empty child when they're in the hospital and they're surrounded. Are you like, what on earth is going to happen? And it's nobody was expecting Christopher Eccleston to go, go to your Yeah. <laughs> a work of genius. Those cliffhangers and the best ones are the ones that just write the doctor into an, or, or companions mm. into an impossible situation that they cannot possibly get out of. And okay, at the beginning of the next episode, it mm. will be, it'll be a little bit convenient, it'll be a little yeah. bit cheesy, but you just roll with it because then mm. as soon as the cliffhanger from last week is wrapped up in the first minute of screen time of the new episode, they're just off and running again yeah. and we're ratcheting yeah. through again and it doesn't matter because you then caught up in the excitement of the new episode. So it doesn't matter yeah, exactly that it was like a that. little bit. Sorry, how exactly did they get out of that this <laughs> week? It doesn't matter. It's the fact that you had the excitement for a whole week of how they're going to get out of it. They did, and now you're off and running again. And that's the beauty of, of the format. And how did that show make me feel that way again? Pull the wool over my eyes yet yeah. again, or take yeah. me there yet again. Uh, it's just clever. It is clever. Yeah. It's the simplest kind of, of profoundity, I suppose you, you could say. In, well, in many ways, I suppose you could sort of liken it, for example, to a roller coaster where there's that terrifying sort of 45 degree uh, first <laughs> run up on the roller coaster. And you're going to get to the top and you know what's going to happen on the other side. Um, but once you tip over the edge, it's all, all hell breaks loose and it doesn't matter what happens. And it's just going to be a roller coaster then. It's going to be fun. You're going to enjoy it. Uh, and that, again, to me, is, is sort of the feeling that sort of runs through mm -hmm. Doctor Who. It's just that anticipation and then and then just being caught up in the moment of it in the excitement of it and the characters and the monsters and the situations that, 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 that sort of capture you if you get that blend right then you've you've got doctor who haven't Absolutely. You? Well, that, well, that's, that, that's the viewing experience and it's pretty much you know things might have changed you know the episode length might have changed but like that fundamental viewing experience hasn't and it what's important about Doctor Who and again there's nothing else like it is you have all these thrills and chills but it's safe 
it's yes. almost cut. Yeah, you you know, you've got that anticipation, you know it's coming, but it's all right because you're with the doctor and they say that you've got that safety net and again this is why children should be watching with family members. The most crucial thing with Doctor Who is you have got to be able to identify with the Doctor. You've got to fall in love with the character of the Doctor or it will fall apart. I love spending time with Colin Baker's character and yet he was yeah. horrible, mostly. <laughs> well, it's weird. I'm going to upset you both now. I didn't, but like, him. Is, I didn't like him at all. This is the problem I have with the fifth Doctor because okay. I like him. But... Because of his, you know, his personality and the fact that he doesn't always win and that had never happened before, it shook my belief in him. I was like, can I believe that this doctor, because, you know, we've lost Adric. He's yes. lost Adric, you know, it's, it was a profound moment and my trust was shaken. That's interesting, but it's, time, it's, yeah. it's a totally legitimate view and that kind of backs up what I'm saying, which is if, you, if you're not on board with the doctor, it, you, you're on a bit of a hiding to nothing. You might manage to make it through with just enjoying the companions and the monsters. But I, I do feel you've really got to, you've got to want to sit down with that doctor and have a cup of tea or a bowl of fish fingers and custard. And if you don't want to do that, it's not working for you. I think it is as simple as that for me personally. I'm not sure we'll ever manage to get Doctor Who in any, anything resembling a nutshell. No. <laughs> no. I think that's going to happen anytime soon, but it's yeah. always fun to speculate about it all, isn't it? And to compare notes. This has been talked about right back, certainly from sort of the 10th anniversary, people were talking about what is it about Doctor Who that, that, that works, that people enjoy. And genuinely, I don't think any books have been, goodness me, books have been written about it, pieces <laughs> have been written yeah. about it, and we still can't truly define it. Um, it just isn't, it isn't simple. It's very, very complicated subject, Doctor Who is. It's an intellectual subject. Simple as that. You think that's why the BBC don't understand it? Yeah. <gasps> I think, yeah. You're right. <laughs> no, I, You're I right. think that is absolutely... To coin Simon's <laughs> phrase, spot on. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing is, nobody truly understands Doctor Who. It's just that it doesn't worry us, but it worries the BBC because they can't quite work out how to get it right. They don't know what they did right in the first place. That's the problem. <laughs> See, and now that I've realised... Well, no, I haven't realised, Simon. You told me. And, I, and since you told me that the BBC don't understand Doctor Who, I thought, at first, when you first told me that, I thought, no, they've been making it for years. I think you first told me that about seven or eight years ago, before we are making Type 40. I thought, no. And after, over time, I thought, bloody hell, he's right, they don't. <laughs> and, but now, now I'm at the point where I can laugh about it, because it is, it's absurd. How can you be celebrating the sixth, marketing the 60th anniversary, anniversary of something that you own, and yet you don't? understand it it's extraordinary <laughs> maybe again it's part of that lining in a bottle that that I think somehow right. it, it, you just have to roll with it you just have to accept we don't understand it we don't get what it is we've just got to kind of go with it um and, and just have confidence in the fact we don't understand it but it's okay it doesn't matter <laughs> and here we are now where they're putting so much behind it so much into it to, with with hopes, with aspirations of making it go global. It went global before in the early in the early 2010s with Matt Smith on Netflix. They tried to crack yeah. America, to break America. That used to be the expression, and it never it had never happened. So it kind of yeah happened without them planning it. Then this time, it's a concerted effort to take it international. 
I think we've just got to hope that generally the Britishness will translate it rather than push people away. Other people will hear the tune, maybe recognise the dance or think it looks fun enough to mm-hmm. maybe get in there and, and try and learn the moves for themselves. And that's the that's the best that we can hope for. And obviously it would help if the bl- if the band playing the tune play all the right notes in the right order and can handle their instruments. Who were <laughs> Yeah, well yes, it, it seems so easy on paper, but we know, we know it, it only takes one little thing. So yeah, I just hope. And from what we've seen from the trailers, it looks the story looks interesting, exciting. It resem- you know, it resembles the characters we've seen before. So there's going to be that huge nostalgia hit. But yeah, just give us characters we like. Yeah. Give us some good monsters and give us a really good thumping story, good versus evil. You can't go wrong. You no. can't. Yeah, we talk for an hour now about what makes a Doctor Who and we find we're struggling to define it. Yeah. Work that out. But actually, <laughs> to use another cliche, it genuinely isn't rocket science. As you say, Sarah, it is just really good stories, good characters, good dramatic situations, well made that genuinely is it. It is. That's what it boils down to at the end of the day. Well, we're hearing lots of lots of big talk and guarantees of spin-offs and, and all manner of things that we're, we're assured are coming our way with streaming platforms and hubs and all the rest of it. But the most important factor is, will remain, that new on-screen Doctor Who is the best that it can possibly be never mind spin-offs and it's got to be there every single year too to give people that guaranteed supply of this ingredient this recipe this spell that will take them to that place and something to look forward to as well it's got to be on the same time every year they've done it before i'm sure they can do it again but i suppose the proof of the pudding will be in the eating well i guess also it's it's a the mix of ingredients isn't it you've got all the ingredients you right you've got to make sure you put them in the right bowl you've got to mix them correctly you've got to bake them properly um and then with a bit of luck they will all come out working right if you've done all that correctly and if you haven't chances are it might not work it's a bit of a gamble it's who can say just get the ingredients right bake it properly and you'll be all right Over a year as of time of uh, publishing this 60th anniversary edition of Type 40, since the last full TV episode of the series that we cover has actually aired. Now, though, the speculation is nearly over, and the first of these new specials produced by Bad Wolf Studios for the BBC is about to air. It's all coming at us back in its Saturday evening slot on BBC One and on its new international streaming home, the Disney Plus platform in all those other territories. Three blockbuster hour-long anniversary specials starring David Tennant as a 14th incarnation of The Doctor reunited with with Donna Noble, again played by uh, Catherine Tate, just as she did from 2006 through to 2009. This is going to stir up a lot of memories for for a lot of fans. There's a lot riding on these specials, isn't there? There is is a lot riding on them. Um, And I do think Russell has made the right choice of which Doctor he brought back and which companion, because, you know, that season four, we were at peak 
popularity, especially in the UK. Yeah. Let's hope the magic's still there. And I think, I mean, we've seen in the trailers, you know, clearly the chemistry's still there between David and Catherine. We know so little about the supporting cast. Even though, even though we've been talking about this for 18 months, all this stuff was made 18 months ago, so it's been, it's been in the can and worked on and polished off. But everybody's under NDAs, aren't they? So we know hardly anything about it at all. Uh, and here we are, we've been speaking about it on this show and on our weekly live stream magazine show, Type 40 Live, on YouTube, Rumble and Facebook. So we've gone over this over and over and over again. And yet when you look at it, we still don't know that much but the marketing campaign has kicked in and i think people are being seduced by it bit by bit particularly when you look at stuff like this impossible she's back i'm back but why something's coming someone there's not long left <laughs> you see, I love that because that does. He's imagining there how we feel. What? None of this makes any sense. Why him? Why her? Where are we going? Is this going to be any good? I think they're anticipating the way the viewers could be receiving this, Sarah. I think they could, yeah. And, and it's fun to play into that. And that, to me, gives me hope that they do know what they're doing. And that, I have to say, that, that little few seconds has done more to kind of restore my faith in anything else I've seen this week if I'm on <laughs> <laughs> and again it is kind of it is that is to a large extent the essence of Doctor Who again um, and so yeah you hope that that is uh, a good sign that's all that's all we can say we had this this release here from Russell T Davies way back now it's been nearly 18 months since they first announced that David Tennant and Catherine Tate were back they didn't say much, but everybody could see them out filming on the streets of Bristol and Camden and everywhere else. And Russell T. Davies uh, announced it like this. He said, they're back. And it looks impossible. First, we announced a new doctor, Mr. Shutigatwa, of course, and then an old doctor, along with the wonderful Donna. What on earth is happening? Maybe this is a missing story or a parallel world or a dream or a trick or a flashback. The only thing I can confirm is confirm is that it's going to be spectacular as two of our greatest stars reunite for the battle of a lifetime i've thought back to that quote a little recently specifically that final line the battle of a lifetime it lines up with the original remit of doctor who when he brought it back the first time in 2005 to be the trip of a lifetime it's very deliberate isn't it sarah again it's a bit of a gamble to trade on our memories on what worked the last time will work this time we'll just have to see honestly um i mean yeah to evoke that the lifetime thing it brings back so many memories for me personally and a lot of people and um yeah i, I don't i don't want him to faff about with it because Donna's story was tragic, it really was, but there was a beauty and purpose to it being so tragic. Well, I'm, I've been attracted to the, again, to the Hooniverse hub on the iPlayer, and I've seen this listing for, this is how they describe new Doctor Who going forward. Because the original pitch, obviously for the William Hartnell stuff, way back in 1963, very famously, it was denoted, wasn't it, as an adventure 
in space and time that's what gave the the docudrama from 10 years ago its title it, it's as simple as it needed to be this time in the listings of the the iPlayer and the Hooniverse hub they've they've got it as this the doctor and friends travel from the dawn of human history to distant alien worlds and everywhere they go they find adventure terror fun chases joy and monsters i don't think that's okay. too bad at all no, that 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 work that that ticks all the boxes it should yeah, it should be good from that that's doctor who i think that's I think that's doctor who in many ways, that, that is, in two sentences, what we've spent an hour trying to say what Doctor Who is. This is the first episode of Doctor Who that I've looked forward to in six years. It's been a long, long time coming, but the magic is working for me. And it's, uh, it's nearly here for the 60th anniversary. It all kicks off on Saturday the 25th of November with The Star Beast by Russell T. Davis. This is based on the classic comic strip by Pat Mills, John Wagner and Dave Gibbons. And stars David Tennant, Catherine Tate, Yasmin Finney, Jacqueline King and Miriam Margulies as the voice of Beep the Meep. The Wrath Warriors there are seen in that classic comic strip finally on the screen this is the adaptation i didn't know that i wanted sarah is this when when you first saw this out being filmed and people were crying on about beep the meep and these things did you wonder what the hell we were talking about <laughs> yeah but yeah because i've not i've not seen the comic and in all honesty i don't want to because if i read it now i don't have you. those expectations but yeah. i am I, I'm looking forward to reading it at a future date. Um, yeah, there's absolutely no point reading it now. Wait. Well, to be fair, I was just happy to see Doctor Who back, yeah, and then to see you know other people's reactions to those who have read it. The, the joy of seeing you know a 3D version of you know of what they've read and loved growing up. Uh, it is heartening, I've got to say, and I am a little bit in love with Beat the Meat because I'm a sucker. It's just like Baby Yoda, that worked for me. Beat the Meat, and I know, I know he's not as cute. <laughs> he's not as cute as he's looking there, but I still can't wait, and I am kind of, I'm kind of in love already. If there was some Beat the Meat merch, I might be persuaded to buy it. Oh, well, there will be. I, Don't worry. They have. <laughs> they've got. They've definitely got some out, and I suspect it could Have be uh, under, <laughs> under a lot of trees come Christmas yeah. if all this is successful. That's <laughs> followed a week later on Saturday, the 2nd of December, by Wild Blue Yonder. This is the special we know next to nothing about. Even the TARDIS isn't in this, or at least not for very long. Shrouded in Mystery Sarah, and very few pictures mm -hmm. have, ever, have even been released from this. We've seen some set details and some kind of Gallifrey-style scribblings, daubings, mm -hmm. but that's about it. But that's quite exciting. It is, and it's a rarity in this day and age because we have so many things spoiled and obviously when you're on location it's difficult to keep it a secret. So yeah, I am. I'm excited for this, but in a completely different way that I am for the Star Beast. But I think, I think for those who, who like, you know, like Ian, who wants Doctor Who to grow up, I think this looks more... I don't agree with that. <laughs> You don't know how I know, but I've never this, agreed with that. this feels like the one that might be, you know, kind of in that blink midnight mm. waters of Mars kind of tradition. We shall see. We shall see. The following week, it all ends on Saturday, the 9th of December. The Giggle, again by Russell T. Davis. This one is the one that st uh, guest stars Neil Patrick Harris mm. as the Celestial Toymaker. 
the, the Doctor's old enemy from all the way back in 1965 in what looks like an explosive hour of, of blockbuster entertainment there. It, this really does look the most cinematic of them all. I think, I think there's no denying it's going to be the most cinematic. of it, Let's be honest, it's got a Hollywood actor in there, not the biggest Hollywood actor of all time, mm-hmm. but, but nonetheless, Neil Patrick Harris is Hollywood actor. So this, I think, will be quite... Hollywood, if we're honest. That's what I would expect. Reaching this far back into the series history for an old character, do you view this as a gamble, or, or is it because because it's a character that only appeared once, is it actually pretty safe? I, I think you're reasonably safe with the toy maker because he's only ever appeared once. I mean, OK, it's an iconic actor that played him. That's the thing. It was Michael mm-hmm. Goff, of course, who is so, so well-renowned. Um, as a classical actor as well as a genre actor. Um, and so you've got that, but I genuinely think that the toy maker is reasonably safe um, because the story itself is not that well known. Yeah. Hardly any of it even exists, Correct. does it, Simon? Correct. And so I, th- and I think it's totally, I, I have no problem personally as a, you know, as a, as a diehard classic fan and and something of a purist i don't have a problem with a reinvention of the toy maker for the modern age because uh th- th- there just isn't the same attachment on the toy maker as there might be to certain other characters mm-hmm. um and so no i say bring it on reinvent him run with it hit the ground running and go for broke why it's taken so long to bring the character back yes. because it is such a, it's a bit of a gift to the series to be honest, because it opens up so many new possibilities that you can do with the show, and I hope that they do that. I hope they do run with it, because there it is such a good concept to, to, to run with for, for the series. I'm very excited by the fact that Neil Patrick Harris is in it. I think it looks like he's having the time of his life. I think he... I would, Yeah, I know that he got paid for this gig, of course, Sarah, yeah. but he looks genuinely pleased to be doing it. And so it, I can't help but res- respond well to that. Russell has been quite cunning with these three special because I think you've got the making you know, of what you know what we were saying about the flavours of Doctor Who, what he's trying to achieve. So as well as celebrating the past, you know, we've got the comic, we've got a past villain, but you've also got you've got that kind of more family friendly feel with the Star Beast. You've got your possibly you know more scary one in the middle to make you think, and then you've just got this bombastic. You know, global because that's what they want. They want it to be accessed globally. Let's get in this overseas style, and you know, absolutely make the most of him. Because there's no point getting somebody like Neil Patrick Harris if you're not going to utilise him. And maybe if people did assume that Doctor was just this small British show on a budget, they're going to look at something like <laughs> The Giggle and think, "Oh my God, this you know, this is brilliant. The production values." They've got Neil Patrick Harris. This isn't what, you know, what I yeah. thought it was. I didn't know this series could do that. Yeah, and I think that will get more eyes on it. And obviously, the more eyes that are on it, the chances are the more it's going to do well. But also, to then look back and think, oh, you know, I'm going to give this show a chance now. And it's been running for 60 years, really. Why haven't I got into it before? Yeah. So I'm hoping it does have that kind of response to it. And, and the truth of it is, you know, if they've got these right, these could, these could be the best three episodes of certainly 
modern who they could be they've got the makings of it um i I pray that they've got it right because there is you're right dan there's a lot riding on this but they could be absolutely cracking they've got all the right ingredients is what i'm saying and and so you just hope that they have mixed them up right i'm glad that i know so little it hasn't stopped me from speculating and I did ask you, didn't I, before we came to record today, I said, let's have some fun with this. And we've got these three new episodes coming up that we largely know very little about. Throw a kooky theory out there about something you think could, will happen in any of these three specials, plot-wise or character-wise. Have you got anything for me? Throw some. It doesn't matter how outlandish it is. Just take a punt and go with it. Okay, well, I'll go first. And this is for Ian, so I hope he's watching. Seeing as we've got this fantasy element with the Celestial Toymaker, I think they're going to go one further and we're going to have a mind robber scenario where one of the lead characters gets his face messed up and it is, in (laughs) fact, Hugh Grant playing the 14th Doctor. And we'll get to react to Hugh Grant just for about 25 minutes and then everybody will be happy. Well, I think it's possible. I'm, I am pretty sure that Hugh Grant's going to be involved in Doctor Who probably sooner rather than later, yeah. in, in all honesty, whether it's these three or not. And we, we have been promised that there is a, at least one huge guest star that we don't know about, but actually playing the Doctor. That's, that's a, a lofty one. That is a lofty one. I, I admire your ambitions for it. We'll, yeah, we'll see what, what, uh, what people out there think through our social media. You told medias. me, you said think big. Yeah, there you yeah. Go. Instagram and X at Type 40 Doctor Who or let us know in the comments section what you, what you think of that one. Yeah, because the thing that's been on my mind a little bit over the last few weeks is, is this. The showrunners to Doctor Who, they, uh, they're, they're great big fibbers. They lie. All of them have lied. Yeah. And I don't think Russell T. Davies is being necessarily honest when he says that he doesn't like multi-Doctor stories, has no interest in them, all that kind of thing. I think that is a great big red herring. I think he loves multi-doctor stories just as much as we do. Who couldn't love the five doctors, for example, or the three doctors? Well, Day of the Doctor, for that matter. So I think this will be a multi-doctor story, but I don't think it will be necessarily a traditional one. I don't think it's going to be some sort of um, huge endgame-style team-up with all yeah. of the doctors sort of standing on a cliff's edge somewhere getting ready to, to do battle with, uh, with the toy maker and a load of minions. Yeah. I think it will be different to that. Mm-hmm. But... I, the reason why I haven't been able to stop thinking about this is actually because of the 14th Doctor, David Tennant himself. And every single picture that we've seen of this new Doctor, played by the same actor, you could say there aren't a great deal of differences. The clothes are different colours, the textures are different, the hair's a little different. But what I'm drawn to is the fact that the 14th Doctor, another thing he has that the 10th Doctor didn't have, is a stubble, a designer stubble. A defined mm-hmm. designer stubble. The Tenth Doctor didn't have that. So why? Now, David Tennant. We often see David Tennant with a beard in real life. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a really quite full beard. I think he's got one at the moment. Or we see him clean shaven. We never see him with a stubble either. Which ma- makes me believe that this stubble has been grown specifically for him to play the 14th Doctor for this production. So why would he do that? I think the only reason he would do that is if David Tennant will not only play the 14th Doctor in these specials, but he'll be playing the 10th Doctor as well. And so when the 10th Doctor and the 14th Doctor are both on screen together, 
They're going to need... Obviously, the Tenth Doctor will still be wearing his brown suit and camel coat. So he'll still be wearing the different clothes. But I think they'll need something to mark him out facially to be an older version of the same character. So we have the Tenth Doctor, who's dressed differently and looking a little more boyish in the face. Maybe they'll de-age him a little using some of that Disney magic, I don't know. But that's why I think we're going to get the Tenth and the Fourteenth Doctor on screen. I think the stubble has been the clue to that right under our noses and under Tenants this entire time. So it's been staring us in the face the whole yes. time. I, I think that is a bloody yeah, good point, good, though. That, that, are, that are you really obsessive about stubble and you've got a bit of a problem? <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't been able... There's been something about this for 18 months since we first saw him filming because it's such, it's such a distinctive look. You think, OK, why? Why the stubble? Only a Doctor Who fan can obsess about stubble for 18 months. That's another... You're both looking at me very sympathetically as if to say, oh, poor guy. <laughs> you don't realise, of course, if he's right, he's going to be insufferable for the next three That's weeks. That's very, all very true. <laughs> I'd probably forget about it by the time the special's up. I think, well, what about that theory I had? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, that didn't come true. I won't mention it again. Nobody will notice. That'll be, <laughs> that'll be how that will remind you. back here with Simon and Sarah and we're celebrating and encapsulating 60 years of Doctor Who here in, in just one episode of our podcast. Sounds easy when you say it like that, doesn't it? So <laughs> 60 years, woohoo! So yeah, how do we finish this off? By doing something that we've never done before. In five and a half years of Type 40, mm -hmm. we're going to watch Doctor Who together. And uh, what, I know, I know, a first, a first. And what better episode than the very first one, starring William Hartnell as the Doctor, of course, Doctor Who, along with Caroline Ford as Susan Foreman, William Russell as Ian Chesterton, and Jacqueline Hill as Barbara Wright. The original cast, the original legends of Doctor Who. An Earthly Child was written by Anthony Coburn and set the series off on this 60-year journey and we're about to hit play on it yet again. It was originally shown on the 23rd of November 1963, a quarter past five in the afternoon, but by that point, Simon, the nights would have definitely have drawn in by then, weren't they? It would have been very dark outside. Oh, it would indeed. Yeah, it would indeed. And that's why this time of year is always absolute Doctor Who time of the year for me. It's, it, this, this is it. This is when it gets serious. Prime time. So what we want you to do out there is using your officially purchased copies of An Unearthly <laughs> Child, however you've bought it on v VHS or DVD, we want you to hit play on this when we do and on the count of, uh, on the count of five, I think. Okay, in five, four, three, two, one. Those opening titles. I love those uh, opening titles. Yeah. I mean, of course, I love the opening titles. Um, it, it, it's always, I just love this 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 howl around effect that they did that has never been bettered in my estimation. It's just, it's just they're just beautiful. 
there's something very, very evocative about them. And even though I've seen little documentaries and featurettes signed about how they did it, I've forgotten already. So every time I see it, I think, how yeah. did they do that? Yeah, it's, it's, it is clever old. It's clever it's old. Really I've done it myself. I haven't played around with it myself. It's so this hypnotic. We've spoken about, about this policeman a couple of times, haven't we, on the show, Simon? Yeah. He, was a, yeah. he was like an extra, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He, he was an extra and he was different. It was a different, this was the only part that was recast between the recording of the pilot episode and the recording of this episode, the first episode. It, it, okay. was, a different, it was a different actor in the, in the second, in the, re, the remounts. And of course, he'd have, he'd have no idea that he was, he was going to be iconic as well. No, not in the slightest. That creak, and again, that creak you know, of the gate, that creak yeah. of the gate there's ever so unsettling in itself, isn't it? Yes. And again, when you when you just look at this back again now, you just kind of think, well, how did this work? Why did this work? It should. It, it's just such an odd opening to the first episode of what the BBC intended to be a major new series. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. what were they thinking? It, it's just so, <laughs> to, well, to, 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 to use the phrase, out of the box when we're looking at the, at the most <laughs> on television on the screen at the moment. It, it, it was just so bizarre. Very, very brave. I haven't seen this. I haven't seen this for a few years now, Simon, and every time I watch it again, what strikes me are always the little details like the hum of the TARDIS that I always forget in between viewings. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's, so you've already got that, that you know, wearing for your mind that police boxes don't hum. You know, what's all that about? Yeah, Something exactly. else I notice as well, Sarah, is that these school children don't wear school uniforms, whereas all kids from the age of like four upwards wear school uniforms. I know. <laughs> <laughs> It's an awful lot of test tubes he's got there, isn't it? Uh... They're all empty, though. It, as I said, the more you watch it, it, you, it is, again, what, what I was saying earlier, you've got to sort of step back from it for a moment mm. and look at it with fresh eyes and think this was the first time. We're so familiar with this stuff now. Mm -hmm. But this was the first time ever that anybody had seen this. And then there would have been people sitting at home thinking, what, a, what am I watching? Why... What was that weird opening? Because again, those opening mm. titles are really out there. They're really strange. Mm. What was the music is weird. I've mm. seen a, a policeman. I've seen a junkyard. I've seen a police box, but the policeman didn't go inside yeah. the police box, which logically. And, and now, now we've now we've cut to a, a school and some teachers talking. Yeah, it's what so on earth is going on? And, what is and all this be, about? You couldn't really find two more. Ordinary, in the nicest possible way. People, and this is a perfectly reasonable conversation. They're, mm -hmm. they're very affable people, aren't they? You can't but like them right away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Barbara's yeah, a little brusque, perhaps, well, isn't, isn't she? It, go, it goes back to, we've talked a lot about soap operas tonight. It, it, it talks a, a, about the soap opera kind of mentality, that mm -hmm. this looks very much like a sort of soap opera set in a school. You could reasonably think that that's what you were sort of signing up mm -hmm. for here. And of course, what we've got to remember as well, it was billed in the in the Radio Times, as Dan, you said, an adventure in space and time. So again, people tuning in this for the first time must have been thinking, how, what is this, what is going on yeah, here? How yeah. is this not an adventure in space and time? Mm -hmm. uh, because this looks so conventional so far. It, uh, we've had a bit of a weird opening that people by now would have forgotten because they'd be caught up in the, in, in, in what the- In the, the dialogue, yeah. Because she, Barbara's saying she's already been, she's already, already investigated Susan a mm. little. Mm. She's mm. been to the junkyard. But she feels that she can confide in Ian. I don't know whether they were particularly close 
up to this point. I mean, they are stood pretty close to one another. There's a lot of... Mm -hmm. They're very tactile with one another, aren't they, come mm -hmm. to think of it? Mm -hmm. Don't think I'd noticed yeah, that get... before. You get well. Well, they play it very much that that, that they know each other well. That they that they mm -hmm. like being with Worked each together other. for a this, few years. Oh, I love this scene. Starts yeah. to become a little bit weirder again now. People, yeah. people are going to be watching this for the first time and thinking, okay. And it's the weird dancing as well. Yeah, it's nobody dancing. dances like that, Susan. It is the dancing. It's as if she's, yeah. as if she's sort of air guitaring with but with an instrument. There's <laughs> like yeah. nothing on earth. And and Caroline Ford, you know, she she has got a very distinctive face. Um, yes. yeah. She hasn't got a, 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 and this isn't meant in any way offensive at all, but she hasn't got that classically good-looking kind of face. She's very quirky-looking. And that, uh, they admitted that that was one of the reasons they cast her. She looks uh, unusual, unconventional. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's where it works. Again, it, it, it just, they, 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 the casting is perfect. In this first even episode. though, even though this looks so desperately old-fashioned with the handheld radio, this was probably the cutting edge at the time, wasn't it? The, the classroom mm -hmm. isn't the kind of classrooms you'd you'd have got in nineteen forties or fifties films. It looks like it was quite modern at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and and it is it's, it's very well directed. We, we know the problems that existed with the pilot episode, directed mm -hmm. again by Warris Hussein, the same as has directed this episode. But it, the, the, the direction is very confident in this episode, uh, especially when they are wrestling with such big concepts that have got to be wrangled to the screen and have got to secure and cement this in the public's consciousness. And yet, it's it's really confident directing on uh, on on Boris Hussein's part. I think in this, this is the only bit that sort of still bugs <laughs> me a little bit. The way she just opens the book randomly at this page and immediately starts to say, "Well, that's not right. That doesn't." It's just, it's too quick. She needed a moment to sort of read and absorb. It's just one of those little things that bugs me. But even even here, they're already sowing the seeds of mystery. There's something not quite yeah. right about this oh, girl. Oh, it's just really well done. The, the, the way they build the mystery, you know, this is brilliant writing on Anthony Coburn's part, beautifully directed by Warris Hussein. It really builds the mystery. And this, and this again, built, I mean, this, well, this that we're looking at now would be very familiar from people, uh, from viewers at the time, from, from um, Zed cars. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, oh, this yeah. is very much, sort of, and Dixon of Doc Green, rather, Zed cars at the start of that point. Sorry, the Dixon language. You're talking about the language yeah. of, po of mainstream populist television again, Spot aren't on. you? Spot on. This is how programmes were made in those days. It's very much the language of, uh, of television from the early 60s. Um, and so that's why, as you say, Danny, it does look... It, it's dated. There's no two And yet those, those cutaways, those fade-ins and fade-outs, as Ian and Barbara are relating their stories, they're unsettling as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, do you know what? It's, it had never occurred to me before, but... With these cutaways, these must have been pre-recorded. Uh, now, now, Doctor Who famously oh. in those days was very much recorded for live with with no with no breaks in recording. And I'd never tweaked it before that these cutaways are obviously pre-recorded cutaways yeah. that they shot at the beginning and then would have vision mixed in live yeah. to the action. Then and we're back. We would be back live then to this shot now. Never thought about that before. That was again. That was quite. Um, well, yes, that's well, quite that's, daring and unconventional. That's modern storytelling techniques yeah. once again. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yes, yeah, yeah, there you mention it. 
I like how exasperated she is, Sarah, when she says, this is impossible without if you don't use DNA. <laughs> and she's not annoying. She's not doing it in an irritating way. She's not like a, you know, a Will Wheaton, Wesley Crusher type no. character. No. She's gorgeous I, I looking. Mean, what, 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 has, what, of course, has got to be said at this point is the first time I saw this, and you would be the same, Dan, was 1983. Uh, sorry, 1981, yes. uh, uh, wasn't it? It was the it's autumn more. of 1981 yeah. with the five faces of Doctor Who. Um, that was the first time I had seen this. I, I uh, The, the, the novelisation I had picked up beforehand for this, because it did come out about three days, as I recall, before um, it, it was actually broadcast in the Five Faces season, I think. Um, I'd read, I remember reading the synopsis of it in Doctor Who Weekly in around about 1980, so the year before. <laughs> so I'm kind of aware of an unearthly Got child. the general gist of it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was going to ask Simon, is, was there still that kind of like mysticism around, you know, that people who had watched it back in the day, you know, being like hailed as like these, it, these elders who know. No, well, you know they didn't congregate it, the way they do it, now, it, I suppose, it, it, and compare that to the same it wasn't it wasn't well talked about in doctor who circles at that point people would talk about things like uh, the celestial toy maker um mm. tomb of the cybermen um uh, uh the D dalek's master plan those are the stories that got talked about people never really talked about an unearthly child much and it wasn't there was no sense of reverence within doctor who circles mm. to this story and partially it might be because in all honesty the next three episodes are just not a patch on this first yeah. episode. Um, I know that we now know, all these decades on, how small an area this junkyard was, don't we? You know, they, mm -hmm. they really work with quite a small set, they use every corner of it, don't they? And it's yeah. obviously very, very dimly lit, but it's so atmospheric. Oh, it's, it, 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 this is what I just love about it. These junkyard scenes in particular mm -hmm. are my favourite scenes in the, in the whole piece because it's perfect, again, for this time of year. It was They knew when it was going out. They knew it was going out in November. So they shot it for, for, for an autumn night. It, mm -hmm. they, nothing, it, nothing is there for decoration. Like, Ian walks up those steps. They're not just yes. there yes. in the background. It's all there yeah, yeah. To, to evoke the environment before we settle on the police box. And, it, and that's the moment, isn't it? That's it. When he touches, he touches it. the TARDIS... And, and, oh, they she does and she does it too, but with the back yeah. of her hand. Yeah, and they can sense that there's something wrong with the TARDIS. And this is where the, the viewers must have been looking at this, and the curiosity must have been peaked at this point. Mm -hmm. And what we were 11 minutes into the show, uh, so as long as as long as viewers are stuck with what are potentially somewhat boring scenes up until this point, this is the moment now, isn't it? Mm. That the, yeah. the, the viewers must have been curious about what is this show about? And it's coughing. a very inauspicious mm. entrance for the hero. Muffling the air oh, and coughing oh. like that and enters this 60-year icon, this hero. Yeah. Isn't it? But it, it does send. It still sends a shiver down me. Now mm -hmm. you're right, Dan. This is an icon that has just entered our screens for the first time. You know, eleven, just under twelve minutes in to the first episode. This is the first time I've watched it, Simon, since I became aware that Hartnell wasn't quite as old and infirm mm -hmm. as I'd always believed he was. 
I mean, incredibly, he's exactly the same age as me at this very moment in time. William Hart really? was the same wow. age as me now. Uh, he was 55 when he, when he made <laughs> Doctor Who. Um, and he plays it so much older, so much older. Yeah. And it's it's all young it, man it this and young man that. Mm-hmm. Mm. It, isn't, it isn't just the wig. It, 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 it is the way he plays it. The body language. Yeah. It's how he speaks as well. It's mm-hmm. so, yeah, it, it sounds older. The tutting, Sarah, all that tutting mm-hmm. under his breath. And again, watching it now, you, you have to be amazed that this did take off with the public because actually he's mm-hmm. such a... It's not that he's a dislikable leading character, but he's a difficult-to-like mm-hmm. leading character. He is abrasive. He's, he's, he's brusque. Um, he's standoffish. Um, he's not warm. And yet, and yet he's, smi- he's smiling, though, Simon. Yeah. And he's quite happy to stare at that picture frame and wait until they go away. It's as if he thinks yeah. they're just going to go away. Yeah. Maybe, this has even, maybe this has even happened before. Well, he plays it very much with a twinkle in his eye, doesn't he? Yes. This is where yeah. whatever, you, whatever anybody says about William Hartnell, good or bad, his acting here is just mm-hmm. exemplary because he really does bring that character to life. You know, look at that there. That's it, just that, yeah. it's that <laughs> wonderful English smile that he's got. And his eyes, it's all in the yeah. eyes, isn't it? It's, 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 mm-hmm. You can see he, he's, his brain is, is living the characterization. He is acting as the doctor. So this isn't, it's not acting you're looking at here. It is, he's inhabiting the part. Mm-hmm. He's playing the part for real. It's almost method acting. He believes he's very safe in the knowledge that he is their intellectual superior, isn't he? And that he can talk yes. his way around everything, Sarah. He's toying with it, them. It is, and and you and as a viewer, you, you've got that sense. You you know he is as well. You're not quite sure what is quite going off, but you know that there's well, the meets. I mean, look at this. It's not exactly hero material, is it? And that oh. it's got to be Here's one the of money the shot. in television history. Wow! wow. Really, ha- because the viewing public now. Here we are, fourteen minutes in. The viewing public at home must have been sitting there thinking, "Wow, what on earth? That was not what I expected." Mm-hmm. Again, we've got to divorce ourselves from familiarity for a yeah. second and think mm. this is the first time any of this is being seen and the viewing public at home must have. And I love the way Warris, who's saying, just pans around that TARDIS yeah. console set. Well, it gives you that scope, doesn't it? That it yeah. is. We, I mean, we know it's bigger on the inside, but, but as we need... saw with Tony, yeah. it really was that big. And he takes, Warris, who's saying, takes that moment to, to just pause for a second and let the viewer just take in what Barbara would have been taking in at that moment mm-hmm. and just take a little bit of a step back and look at the at the set, which is magnificent. It's a beautiful set. Anything well, else in that set, set would have anything else in that set would have been too much as well, Simon. It would have been yeah. impossible for the actors to move around. It's perfectly pitched. You've got you've got the roundels at the back. You've got it. it the, the lighting on it is beautiful because it just looks so futuristic, so out there. And then, as Sarah says, you've got these lovely these lovely uh, antique statues and and and, and artifacts there that just break it up. So you're right, Dan. Any more would be too much. It's mm. it's perfect. And you can see he's the not quite. There. Have you noticed? Have you noticed that he's not quite so doddering now? He's inside the ship either. 
He shrug- once he takes his no. coat off. Oh, I've never noticed that. Yeah, yeah, he does. Suddenly he's like standing right. up straighter and it, yeah. Mm. You're right. He's a, yeah. There's a degree of assurance there now. He's back on his own territories and he's in mm-hmm. familiar ground. He's in, he's safe and he's confident because yeah. he's in control now. He's suddenly, suddenly, here we are. He, you know, he's really, we're seeing the William Hartnell doctor come to the fore now um, because you're right, Dan. He's back on, uh, on his yeah. own turf now. But again, look at that—you know—that defiance. As I say, he's—he's—he's he's, he's an abrasive character. He's still—he's still sparkling, but—but but he's—you can tell that he's now there inside the the ship. He's less comfortable. Yeah, it could—it could have gone either way for the viewing public. This they could have looked at this and just and just thought, no, this is too dislikable a character. Mm-hmm. And also, what what we should point out from television point making turns here. This is this is the second half of the recording block. They they broke that. That's why there is a bit of a jump when when Barbara runs into the, the the police box, and it's a bit of a jump cut that she's just running in, and suddenly she's inside the box, inside the the, the console okay. room, um, and that's because that was a recording break that they did there. And the tragedy yeah. of it was that in the in the pilot episode. You actually, when she opened the TARDIS doors, you saw into, you saw inside the console room. The saw, office, oh, what the a shame. The door. And they cut it, bizarre reasons. We still don't know why they decided to change this for the recording. Because the way that the sets were laid out, the TARDIS doors Look, did I'm, open. I'm looking, I'm looking at Caroline Ford as well, how she's, she's really gone inside herself. She's concerned for them, concerned for yes. herself. Yeah. It's it, there's the canopy above them now. That's the yes, such a clear yes, view yeah. of the canopy that didn't survive beyond the first. Uh, I'm trying to think. Is it in the in the Daleks episodes? I can't remember. I think it might reappear no, on the edge of destruction. But it's but you can even you, you, just briefly there is when you saw the top of the set. You saw the black drapes behind the top of the set. The the camera angle is so low at this point. I'm guessing so that they can showcase that canopy a little bit. I'm struck by the difference between Ian and Barbara and Susan. She's almost horrified. She's close to panic. Yeah. Whereas they, even though they're in this environment, and they don't quite understand it's some sort of trick, and they're happy that their eyes are lying to them somehow, they're concentrating, aren't they, on, on their responsibility towards their student. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we're, kind of back, we're back to sort of soap opera territory. It's very mm. much soap opera writing, in a way. Mm-hmm. We're just in a what is that, what is that high-pitched noise meant to be in the background? As if he sealed something from that point on. Yeah, that, yeah, he's he in complete well, control. Mm. Yes. He's locked them in, basically. He's locked them in, and, and, and then he electrifies the, uh, the console, doesn't mm. he? I mean, it's all kind of stuff that, uh, that that never really reappeared in Doctor Who. But it's a lot of what you see in the console room this time, you'll never ever see Doctor Who again. They kind of abandon it. Um, yeah. Which, for better or worse, it doesn't matter. It's it's the setup that that, that works. Mm. And, and they needed to do this. It, we have such a protracted time in the console room. Mm-hmm. And it works so well because we needed, they needed to establish these characters. They needed to establish the TARDIS. Um, and that's why it does actually work brilliantly as a first episode. Mm. I, I still uh, maintain it's one of the best episodes of Doctor Who ever. I think so. And how wonderful is Caroline for it? I mean, she's, she's cause obviously she's the youngest, you know, cast member, but she's really, she's holding her own against all three of the adults. And she is, she is just perfectly cast. She just looks. She's, 
Earth defiant and, and alien. And all of this just sets up what, what th th these characters so, so nicely. Because let's not forget, we're going to sort of spend a year and a half, nearly two years with, with, with well, certainly a year. We're going to spend a year with these four characters. Mm -hmm. um, okay, the light catches the console as well. Now that the, the, the whole viewing public has been has spent twenty minutes waiting for, they didn't know they were waiting for it, but they were because this is the moment. <laughs> that we yes. take and we're now absolutely. This is the this is historic. This is the first. Well, they, ever they must have been wondering. They must have. They must have been wondering, Simon. What does that control system do? Yeah, what, what does that power do? What are we doing? What are we now doing? What is this? That, 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 that we've been sitting home thinking, what on earth is going on now? And of course, that is meant to sort of signify the TARDIS shooting up in effect yeah. on a sort of a column of flame up into the sky. That's the sort of idea, uh, a very sort of out there All idea. Right. We're back to kind of the the, 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 the public would recognise this as the, 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 the titles that they saw a few minutes ago. Mm -hmm. um, but they're still going to be wondering what on earth is going on? What is all this about? Um, they, they wouldn't again have known that at that point the TARDIS was taking off. It was a convention that wasn't understood at that point. So for all they know, the TARDIS might have been shrinking down to the size of a, of a thimble, for example. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't know what was going yeah. on. We know what's going on. They yeah. didn't at the time. And so there must have been... And, and now, they're now thinking, you know, we're now thinking, what, what, what has happened? That's great of William Hart. I love that shot on William yeah. Hart. The way he sort of slowly blinks. Yeah. It's just lovely to actually see us... See such an effort made. He knows. He like knows. Him. He he knows. In that moment, he lost control, didn't he? Yeah, he was yeah. in control. Absolutely. And that, I mean, it sends shivers down me now because it's yeah. such a bizarre image. You've got this strange landscape. You've got the police box now, one killing. Yeah. I love the fact he's not even properly upright, and that figure down bottom right. Where are imagine, we? imagine being that caveman. You just popped out to the scrub to take a whiz, <laughs> and this box appears. Incredible. Yeah, it, it's just the, the, the viewing public. Goodness me! If you'd watched that, you would tune in next week because you. Oh just yeah, definitely. We'd, you'd be dying to know what happens next. So can that's I, can I just, already there. Can I just say the name Peter Brahatchki? Just because I'm really pleased myself for learning how to pronounce it after 30 years. <laughs> I'm still not convinced. Yeah. It looks like Peter Brachaki to me, but there we go. <laughs> what do I know? Warris is saying, Warris. Warris is saying still... I wouldn't dare to try and pronounce it live anyway. <laughs> and, and Warris is still with us brilliantly 60 yeah. years later, and of course, famously nearly directed The Five Doctors for uh, John Nathan Turner, but didn't. Um, and ne never come back to Doctor Who. What an absolute tragedy that, that, that after those initial yeah. few, few, he, he went on to do a few more episodes, mm -hmm. but, um, but that's it. It's just such a lyrical, romantic episode, that, and that's why I love it so much. They're, they're, they could have done anything with that first episode of Doctor Who, but the way what they've done with it, I just find still mesmeric to watch. It's all in the dialogue. The dialogue is beautifully written. You know, let's remind ourselves, there's just four people. 
yeah. in 23 minutes. That's all you've got. It's very. It's a chamber piece. It's a play. That's what it is. It's a, it's a theatre chamber play piece. Yeah. On 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 stage. That's all it is. Don't um, hear that expression very often now, but yeah, you're right. That's what it is. And and and, and I again, we we you forget that sometimes that they that these four people carry 23 minutes of shot for live television um and it goes like that doesn't it it's, it does. it's well yeah over... just as we've just witnessed now that that felt like seconds mm. because you're just that invested in it and again and so much setup and backstory especially with susan has been done in those few minutes do you remember sarah the first because i've t spoken about the first time certainly dan and i saw it do you remember the first time you watched an unearthly child how far into your love of doctor who were you i i watched it when it was it was broadcast during the 50th celebration oh, that was the first time I'd, oh, okay. uh, I'd watched it um do you remember when you first watched it do you remember what you I, yeah i do because i <laughs> It was a weird thing because I know I'd always wanted to watch it because obviously it was the first episode. <laughs> I was worried about watching it yeah. that I wasn't going to like it because yes. it was black and white, and I'd heard mixed things. And again, it got to the point where I was like, "Well, Sarah, you're just going to have to watch it and make your own mind up, aren't you?" <laughs> yeah, um, you can't <laughs> <it off> forever. <laughs> yeah, um, and I'm glad I did. I, I was amazed. But because I mean, because I'm coming off from Rose, I yeah. mean, and you think we hold Rose as the pinnacle for how much development you can get done in an episode? Because Russell did do a grand job of that. Yeah. yeah. So to see what was done here with these four characters in half and the it time, holds, in half the time, it holds your attention. There's so many firsts. Um, I, I just thought it was a really beautiful story, and actually, it being in black and white really enhances it because you've got that kind of you've got the mysterious atmosphere especially when you know that you see the junkyard for the first time and ian and barbara in the car you know like the cops and you've got that real like you know um stakeout feel to it it feels almost a bit like a hitchcock movie yes and then you've got the total contrast to going inside and you've got this brightness i don't think if this was colorized, I think it would lose so much. I was about to say thing. exactly the same thing because obviously we have got mm. we have got several episodes of Doctor Who that are being colorized and re-edited, which we'll, we'll have to talk about another time. But there was obviously when that was announced, there was there was a proportion of the fandom fandom that was saying, "Well, why haven't they they mm. colorized the first episode?" I think now, having watched it, how much of it is in shadows? Mm. I can see why they haven't colorized this actually. <laughs> Yes, I'm, I mean, I, you know, I'm a great advocate of colorization, but I must be honest, I, I, I don't have a problem if they do colorize it again, because as we yeah. always say, no, it's not the original. Mm -hmm. But I, I agree with you, Dan. I think it would lose something. There's, um, there's a wonderful uh, term in filmmaking that I love, which is chiaroscuro, which is basically talking about the, 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 the sharp contrast between shadows between darkness and light and you're mm -hmm. right sarah that's one of the things i love about this episode a, a film buff would would comment on the chiaroscuro which is this these the very very deep dark black shadows and then the stark white contrast and you're mm -hmm. right going from that dingy atmospheric uh junkyard mm -hmm. into a brilliantly white light but equally uh atmospheric oh yes yes there's, there's, you can see the magic there 
on screen. When Tony Farrell told us about the way the set was lit and how complicated the lighting was, again, even though I, I first saw that episode 42 years ago now, every time I see it, I notice something different, uh, partly because mm -hmm. of... I've watched considerably, considerably more vintage TV now than I had then, than even than I had mm. 20 years ago, let alone 40. But obviously speaking to Tony this time, being aware of the lighting, how the light bounces off the TARDIS console to yes. give it that kind of, it's there, but it's not there. It's, it's almost an illusion. It's only when you've spent five minutes in there that things almost solidify. And then, the, then everything goes at the pictures and they're off heaven knows where. Mm. It's ridiculously rewatchable, mesmeric yes. in the in the spell that it casts. Uh, no matter how many times I see it, so I, mean, I could go back and watch that again now and, and see something else. Right now, I could go back and watch it again and see okay. something else. It is perfectly pitched, and I must be honest, mm -hmm. I just never get bored of watching it. I don't know why I don't. Me neither. Because mm -hmm. many people could view it as a boring, in inverted commas, episode, simply mm. because it is quite wordy, it's quite static, um, it's got limited sets, but it's far from boring to me. I just find it, mm -hmm. I think it's perfectly pitched. I think actually there's an enormous amount happens in a, in a very short space of yeah. time. Yeah, as you right. say, Sarah, you've got the classroom, you've got the car, you've got the junkyard, you've got the console. Really, there's a there is a lot going on there. Actually, um, it's just beautiful. As I say, it leaves me no doubt why I still love Doctor Who. It was not a disappointment to me at the time I saw it in 1981 in the Five Faces of Doctor Who, and I remember being warned by my parents that I would be disappointed. Or you know, mm -hmm. Doctor Who back then it was all very creaky. It's black and white, you know, um, and I remember. <laughs> <laughs> going through an unearthly child, really quite sceptical, thinking I'm not, I'm genuinely not going to enjoy this. And of course, I was just, I was hooked from, from the opening shots. And it's the first Doctor Who that the three of us have ever watched together. We've got to do this again. Yeah, yeah, I've loved it. I've really enjoyed doing that. I have, I have watched Doctor Who with Simon Horton before, but that yeah. was way, way back at Hoonatics meetings. I'm not yeah. sure how those episodes were on the television at that time. It must have been Who another kind of magic, magic, Dan. Magic. I wouldn't like to say. <laughs> uh, obviously, that was a very, very long time ago, and there was about another hundred odd people in the room. So it kind of does. And I'm not even sure if you were watching because I got the impression that you'd seen them before. Most of those episodes I hadn't seen before. But uh, when that was broadcast on the 23rd of November night. 1963, originally at 5.15pm on the BBC. 4.4 million people tuned in to watch that. Obviously, there was a, a historical event had happened, hadn't it? That The day before, was it? The day before. The Kennedy assassination. Presumably, the audience would have been higher. It would have been it's, high, no. and that, of course, Sarah, is why the BBC then made the decision the following week to rescreen this episode directly before episode two. Um, it's the first and only time it's ever happened that they that they screened two back-to-back -back episodes. They rescreened it, um, and I don't, like I don't know how he did this following week. Did he do better, Dan? Do we know? We got four point four for the original show. What do you think it went up to? I I I love to think it went up to about let's say six million, because I would hope that the word had gone round that actually people had missed a bit of a treat. So I'm guessing at six. Sarah? Okay, uh, I'll go a little bit, I want to say five. Put Conservative guess there. Uh, the figure was six million. It was exactly what? six was million it? viewers well done, for the repeat showing, the repeat so, showing so the next word, week. 
So, so, so my theory was correct. Clearly, the word must have gone round that people had missed something um, that was worth watching. And maybe got a bit more publicity because of the fact that it was being repeated. Um, so, so they would have picked a few up extra from that one. So you're uh, looking at a good cool 10 million, which is nothing to be, you know, to shake a stick at back in the 60s either. Quite right. It's all, it, it, it's all there. It's all in history and it, and it just worked. And as I say, watching it again now, I can see why it worked. Doctor Who and an Earthly Child is available. You can stream all four parts of this opening serial currently on the platform ITVX in the UK. So it's up there along with a lot of other Doctor Who stories. And as part of the beginning box set that you mentioned earlier on there, Sarah, it's in there with uh, with the other stories, the Daleks and the Edge of Destruction. It was due to finish there. That's it, the Edge of Destruction. That was going to be the, the end of the run, potentially. If it hadn't worked, if people hadn't responded to it and it hadn't taken off, it would have ended with the edge of destruction. And, of course, the Daleks happened and everything else is history. It does look 60 years old. I won't pretend it doesn't, because it does. But the performances are still absolutely captivating. Well, yeah, just because it's dated doesn't mean it's not still relevant and and, and of, of a certain quality, does it? Obviously. New Doctor Who returns to the televisions imminently within a few days as of time of recording. We're going to get the very latest episodes of Doctor Who and a brand new incarnation, nearly new incarnation, of the Time Lord as well. <laughs> to compare and contrast those with. And of course we'll be reviewing those episodes all in good time on upcoming editions of Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast. It's the old girl starting up and calling time. She's just as eager to see those new specials, I think, as we are. We'll be back with another one soon. Look out for that wherever you found this. It could have been at the dedicated home feed for Type 40 at type40.podbean.com. Maybe we rolled up on the podcatcher of your choice. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Amazon Music, all those places. We're also on YouTube, the world's largest streaming platform here on the Type 40 channel with dedicated video editions of every single podcast now, along with our sister show, Type 40 Live, that regular magazine format, Doctor Who live stream, completely raw, completely live, where anything can happen, anything can be said, and often is. You can get all of that on the Type 40 channel on YouTube and Rumble. Plus, we're still on the fabulous Fandom Podcast Network's own master feed, loaded up with so many treats for your ears never mind on the weekly it's all coming at you on the daily there so please consider a trip sideways in time for more quality shows from the fpn maybe you'd like to have your say about all of this you can do that through our social medias instagram and x at type 40 doctor who or you can email us type 40 doctor who at outlook.com and if you're feeling really brave you know what you can do You can find us all over on Facebook in the Type 40 Facebook group. Regenerations worth upon regenerations worth of Doctor Who fans feasting on classic Doctor Who as we've been doing over the last 20-odd minutes, talking about new Doctor Who too and reliving some of those great memories from 2005 onwards. And we're all waiting with bated breath there on the verge of spillage for all new Doctor Who starring David Tennant and Catherine Tate very very soon okay let's have some social media links Sarah you're up on social media at the moment where are you though where can people find you and what are you doing okay you can find me on X 
at Starry Eyed Hill. Uh, yeah, I'm also on Facebook. How about you, Simon? Where can people find you on social media? They can only find me on Facebook because I can't be bothered with the rest of them. So come and say hello on Facebook. Uh, I am there running the Hoonatics. So come and say hello to us at the Hoonatics. And you can find me on Instagram and X as the Spacebook, wheezing and groaning, ranting and raving, stuck in my little junkyard there about all things geeky inside and outside of the TARDIS. We're within sniffing distance of those 60th anniversary <laughs> specials. We'll see you back on the other side of those here at Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast where we always have the time if you have the space. Happy 60th anniversary, everybody. Happy 60th anniversary. Happy 60th anniversary. Oh, great mind, Simon. <laughs> <laughs>